Again, as always, don't forget to check us out on otwtube.com. Um, again, this is uh, I'm Oz Bryant, uh, my co-host Rob Williams. We always look back in order to before we move forward. Uh, we use history as a mechanism to understand where we are and how we should move forward. Um, we got a great show lined up for you today. That's some real interesting topics. A lot's been going on. So some of the things we're going to be exploring today are, so we're going to look at the difference, right? To how Afghanistan is being treated in the media and in the UN uh, versus the treatment of Haiti, right? Uh, we've, uh, I'm not sure if you find it interesting as I do, but we're going to be exploring that. Uh, we're going to continue our discussion from last week about black myth in American media. Uh, the, uh, colored convention, the colored, the first colored convention happened this week back in 1830. Uh, they, they voted for none other than Richard Allen to be president. And the reason why the colored convention is super interesting, uh, again, for the years 1830, uh, let's not forget, uh, David Walker uh, released his appeal, you know, that, that, that same year, right? The, the, our, our show's namesake. Uh, released his his seminal uh, piece of literature that same year. So we're going to be exploring the connections there. And the free produce movement. All right, so there was a boycott movement back in the 1830s to only buy produce that wasn't produced by slave labor. You know, again, again, you hear things like now about, you know, socialist investing, I mean, social investing, where we're conscious of who we're supporting like uh, divesting from companies that invest in, uh, in for-profit prisons, for instance. In other words, that kind of thing has been going on. Like this, it's not new. The idea that uh, even back then, they, they were attempts to use the wallet to try and uh, create social change. Uh, also, we're going to be reviewing uh, Charlemagne the Gods, the God's Honest Truth. <laughs> he had his first episode this week. On the comedy central, we're going to give our opinions on that, and as well as Ken Burns' PBS documentary Muhammad Ali. I mean, it's a sprawling piece of work. It's what almost eight hours, four episodes, two hours episodes. So we're going to touch on that as well. But uh, Rob, how you been? Eh, pretty good. Can't complain. How was your week? Pretty good. Working on a few uh, financial issues and trying to get those off the ground. Uh, we're going to be doing a, kind of a consulting service. So we're helping people get 
the funding they need to start up businesses and stuff. We want to encourage more small businesses and especially more local businesses. We've seen a lot of uh, shops close. A lot of storefronts are just sitting open and there's not yeah, much sure. to change it. Who are you working with on that one, on that project? There is a financial center that I'm uh, a part of and we're located in Hollis. It's a CSMG Financial. Okay. 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 Uh, that's dope. That's dope. So, you know, uh, uh, keep keep us abreast of how that works, how that how that proceeds. Uh, again, we we always love to to participate in anything that's do, working in the upliftment of the people. Um, I had a heavy week. I ain't gonna lie. To you. I had a heavy day. I ain't gonna lie to you. I was just I've been real off today. Um, uh. So, yeah, many of you know, I'm president of a, a civic out here in Queens, St. Albans Civic. Uh, and, you know, in working with civics, you work with a lot of seniors. And um, <laughs> the, the problem working with seniors is, hey, I mean, they're they're in the twilight. And so any day, you know, you might lose a few. And yeah. so uh, I found out today that uh, Mr. Robert Oliver uh, passed yesterday. Um, actually, the, the, the irony is I was actually a couple of things. So, Mr. Robert Oliver is, um, uh, it, 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 he definitely had an impact on, on my life. I, I can't even deny that. <laughs> Positive and negative. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but all well and still, I was just really planning to buy a cake for this Sunday's meeting because it was his birthday. And a couple other members. His wife's birthday as well. Sister Martha, uh, her birthday as well. And so, um, yeah. So that hit me with a ton of bricks. Uh, but uh, yeah. So Mr. Robert Oliver, he was definitely. Yeah, he was ninety-five years. Not yet, ninety-five years old. Uh, from um, Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, which is interesting <laughs> uh, because the, this is also the anniversary of the Little Rock Nine, uh, when they first tried to integrate, um, yeah, the high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. This is the anniversary. He, he knew some of those folks, uh, some of those children, right? Um, Daisy Bates, uh, the organizer, NWT organizer of that. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting, uh, that, uh, we would lose him. And also, um, somebody that you probably guys have probably also heard me mention here on the program, uh, Sister Rose, Rosie, Sister Rose Paris, uh, Sister Rose Paris, uh, who's from uh, Mount Bayou, Mississippi. Um, she she grew up. Uh, uh, how can I say this? Her early childhood was greatly influenced by Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard. Uh, some of you have maybe heard me mention him. Uh, at the time, Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard was a surgeon, a doctor. Um, the, the richest black man in Mississippi, um, especially during segregation, right? And, uh, you know, so he built a lot of things in that town, uh, let alone he had a nursing school uh, that uh, Rose Paris attended, right? So that's how she got her, her she launched her career thanks to uh, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Mason Howard, who many of you might also know that he's also a mentor to uh, Meg Revers and Jesse Jackson and 
and Fanny Lou, Fanny Lou Hamer, all right? Uh, to name a few. Uh, Rose Pass died this week as well. And when she came to New York, she to Paris, Martin Luther King, many of you know, he was stabbed in Harlem. And he was rushed to, ha- to Harlem Hospital. The attending nurse was Rose Paris. And she, uh, I had the, the honor of uh, knowing her. Uh, she lived across the street from my mentor. She uh, spoke at a couple of our civics. So she actually did a black history presentation for us at the civics. So her service is tomorrow. So yeah, my point is when you're rolling with folks who are 80s, 90s, yeah, these things happen. Uh, you're supposed to be prepared for them, but um, they always hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Uh, but let's, uh, <laughs> let's get on a, a lighter note. Um, yeah, so there's a, I was listening earlier today and they, you know, there's a UN, there's a UN, I'm not sure what you call these meetings, going on now. And, you know, there's a lot of things on the docket, right? COVID being one of them. Afghanistan was mentioned. But I thought it's surprising that Haiti doesn't seem to get the same kind of attention that Afghanistan does. Uh, what do you think about that, Rob? It's twofold. One, you have a long-standing grudge in the Western world against Haiti. They're, they, they broke the golden rule back in the day and defied capital and fought for their freedom and won. So they, that there's a long memory there. They're not going to forget that. Two, they're kind of under our jurisdiction because the United States, even though it kind of neglects this hemisphere, it also claims this hemisphere. So a lot of the, you don't, there's no other country in this hemisphere acting the way we do. We, you don't see any of the other global powers with their fingers in South America the same way, in Central America the same way. That's all our bull. So it, there's a couple of reasons why Haiti gets the treatment that it does, especially in comparison even to Afghanistan. Afghanistan has a lot of natural resources, and it's been it's strategically placed, so it's between two major cultures and cultural influences and empires have fought over it for a long time. So Afghanistan is just in a bad place. So it's always going to get that kind of negative attention. But even from the UN, I'm not even talking about the US. The UN is supposed to be come on, on, stop it. Who runs the UN? Stop it. Don't even waste (laughs) my time. With that, diver- I, you know, I appreciate the Socratic method, but it's such a fucking waste of time in our culture. You can't use the Socratic method in a culture this deep awash in propaganda. It doesn't work, and it doesn't get the same effect that you would in a thinking society. You said in a thinking society. <laughs> well, how else do you want me to phrase it? Anytime you have this many people and this great of portion of your population that responds just purely to stimuli what what do you call it apple pie <laughs> but yeah I, you know I just want to I, I, I have no I have no disagreements with you there I just found it peculiar and you know I was wondering I'm not sure if other people found it peculiar, find it peculiar as well when they see this attention I mean, there's concerns 
about, you know, children in, in Afghanistan. I'm like, what about children in Haiti? <laughs> you know I mean, what I'm about not, children not the, here? The, what not about the, children yeah, here? You know, at the end of the day, Haiti is another country. You got plenty of people right here that need food, and shelter, jobs. That's true. Oh, that's true. That is true. We don't even look after uh, yeah. our own working and yeah. poor. So the Very idea true. that we would actually practice true altruism and look after the working and poor and disadvantaged, the, the grossest lie that they've told lately when it comes to Afghanistan is that we got to stay there to defend the women and the children. Are you out your rabbit ass mind? You ain't defending the women and children in your yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and at the end of the day, real talk, that's not our job. You want to defend the women and the honor of Afghanistan? That's the job of the men of Afghanistan. We need to get the hell out of there. That's not our job. That's not our business. You can either be an actual empire, like I've said before, and own up to it, or you can do this dumb shit that we continue to do and wonder why it doesn't actually work for anyone. Well, it does work for some people. It works for the people at the top who get all the cash from the kickbacks. But outside of that, it's not working for anybody. You know, unless you happen to be Joe Biden's son. You can stay high as hell, banging hookers and running essentially the energy program of a country whose language you don't even speak. So it works for some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's always been the case. Uh, we we can't uh, escape those truths at all. We could, but it just uh, takes a lot of people and a guillotine. It's been done before. <laughs> so last week uh, we said we were going to touch on uh, black myth in American media. Uh, what do you want to explore there? Well, one of the uh, it's the prevalence of it. The last time I can really recall recently that black myths got any play at all in modern media, in mass media, was American Gods. It was a show that was on for a little bit, and they had one good episode where a black deity was showing slaves fighting back. The series was canceled shortly after. So <laughs> that was just a small example. But there are parallels all throughout. And we raised this point last week about how the European myths and deities dominate our culture. So it, it's no surprise that they are so prevalent. And you have plenty of people who would flock to the movie theaters to see a character like Thor. I got no problem with Thor, but he's an analog. There's a, basically a, a complete African clone of that deity. Same thunder powers, same disposition, you know, and it's not because these are human traits. These are things that, honestly, the Orishas predate a lot of these northern uh, Nordic myths. But these are still human things. So you see these tropes and these archetypes copied again and repeated throughout cultures all over the world as humans spread out. So the fact that we focus solely on the European and Northern European at that deities is just another example of the big brainwash. You, you can't have a, you, we always talk about being in control of our history, being in control of our narrative. How can you be con truly in control of your narrative? If you're not even sharing your own history, 
It's not that these things are lost to us. They tried their best to erase them, but they're still there, and they're, you can recover that, but we don't do enough with it. These characters are not introduced into the pop culture in a proper way. They're like little secrets that we share amongst each other. There's no reason why I got to sit through a Tyler Perry movie with him in drag for five different films, making up these ridiculous scenarios that make it seem like everybody's either a deadbeat or cheating the same dumbass party culture when you could be making solid films about actual black culture, actual African culture, and bringing that to the forefront. So you got all these cul-de-sac moms who think they're down with the cause and empathizing with a character like Medea when there's that that is not real black culture that is a parody of black culture that's been shown to us so now we echo it and repeat it back to the people who showed it to us for what applause a pat on the head meanwhile you have movies like the Avengers or even Thor Ragnarok and his whole just we'll just focus on Thor his central series of films he had like four three or four films they can gross millions of dollars. So that shows that the appetite's there. It's not that people don't appreciate these types of myths and characters. Hell, even Black Panther broke a lot, brought in a lot of money and appealed to a broad audience, even though it was specifically marketed and targeted towards a black audience. So it's not that these characters don't attract people and can't attract people. It's the effort. It's totally lacking. And we, can't ex- we shouldn't expect uh, Hollywood to pick these characters up and do that. They've proven that that's really not their interest. That's on us. So it's kind of, it makes my head spin when the people who make it to the top, even once they've made it and are creating their own studios and all this, they're still playing to that same trope. That's where the push should be. You know, I have no problem. I, I was a Marvel intern for a little while there. You know, I spent a year of my life in the bullpen, learned it all. But the bottom line is there's a lot of space there that could be occupied by great stories. And it's just being left. It, it, it's an example of leaving power on the table. A couple of things. One, uh, you know, kind of similar to the Haiti question in Afghanistan, I would add, we connected in the, you know, even though I, I, I act like, uh, is the UN treating Afghanistan differently? There is a point of, of frame, frame of thought that says maybe we don't want outside interference in Haiti. Maybe, you know, the idea is that there might be too much interference as is. So the less they can be left alone to solve their issues, the, the better it is. Uh, that's one. And how that connects here is that do we really want these Hollywood studios telling these stories? Because if they tell them, then, you know, they're probably no. going to, you know, but that's, um, mess that's them why up. I said they shouldn't be the ones telling these stories. That's why I specifically yeah. brought up the Tyler Perry example. There's no reason at this point, you know what, if he did the shuck and jive and the running around and drag to get to the point that he's at to get the studio and get the money, fine, whatever. But you're no longer there. You don't have to do that anymore. So what's the excuse? You have these supposed you have these supposed music moguls that have made it to the top of the industry. Well, what's where where's the actual representation then? 
Why do we have to depend on some Hollywood studio that, let's be honest, they were the ones enforcing segregation before in films. They were the ones who were practicing all the sexism in films. You can't look at someone like, let's say, Harvey Weinstein and then have that same industry that protected him for so long with an open secret like that and then actually expect them to mean it when they turn around and say, oh, believe all women. What the fuck are you even talking about? You were the one who were silencing the women. So it's just backwards. It's You're leaving it up to the people who abuse you to save you. You have a station like BET back in the day that was still black-owned then. What did they show? Not shit like that. Was Tavis Smiley on BET back in the day? I think, I think he yeah. did have a show on BET, but he had a falling yes, out or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm back then. <laughs> I'm reaching it, as you can tell. <laughs> no shit. I, I'm yeah, I, I haven't seen a, a reach like that outside of comics with Plastic Man. <laughs> there's there's got to be some positive here. No, but, no, um, shouldn't. If you got to reach that far back into time to find a positive, that's your answer right there. Stop giving these people those cover and convenient excuses. That is part of the problem. That's part of the problem that we're pointing at. That's part of the reason I wanted to bring up the media example. Following this bullshit, contributing to this bullshit, just like you you said earlier. If you tell people they've never done anything, then they can never do anything. I never said that they haven't done anything. I'm saying that the effort has been lacking. And what are you doing then at that point? Are you just giving out like little congratulatories just for showing up? They're not even showing up. We're looking for the show that you can do it because you've done it in the past, so you can do it again. So we're, we're in other words, the roadmap has already exists. Uh, we don't have to blaze and trails or, you know, don't ever think that your ideas are new. I'm not trying, you know, these ideas aren't new. Somebody had these conversations and we're just trying to get that jump started. Uh, connecting with something, uh, you know, that uh, already exists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are, I mean, we're not having new conversations at all, right? At all. You touched so, um, on it a bit earlier, though. Voting with yeah. your dollars is one of the most important things. The idea of a boycott is a very powerful thing. And it's been abandoned pretty much by the left. The last effective boycott that was truly pushed was BDS. And Israel did their best to try and get everybody to think it was the worst thing ever. Why? Because it's effective. Because they work. Voting with your dollars in a capitalist society is more important than voting on election day in a lot of cases. Because that's a 365-day affirmation of where you stand. Anybody can be lied to. We get lied to all the time and drag our sorry asses out to the voting boats and vote Democrat up and down the line to get kicked in the face. So what is that proving? Do something effective. Stop shopping at the outlets that shit on you. Stop but then you people but then, who look down on you, your money. True. But, we, but you also want to promote something you know, productive because telling someone not, what not to do doesn't get you where you want to be. 
We have no, to create you redirect those doing. dollars into those people who are supporting you. Like, you redirect those like dollars into the businesses that do hold you up. Yeah, that's point. Yeah, so that so that's that's where the energy should lie. You know, I I shouldn't have to tell you what not to do. I'm just gonna say, hey, this is a good idea for you to do. Like what you're doing with uh, with the financial organization you're working with, trying to help small businesses, right? That that's yeah. productive, right? That's how we build the bridges, as opposed to you know just telling folks, okay, don't go here, don't go there. You know, right? it's got to be both. I think it I think it takes both because we're again we're a society that is awash in propaganda. So people, honestly, we don't know half the time. And that's not a, a slam against people. You know, it's, you're literally raised in this like the rest of us. So you may just not see it. You may not be aware. You know, it, there's a lot of money and a lot of effort that goes into keeping people unaware. Yeah, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Absolutely. Right, no, that, that's where we are. Again, again, you're soft selling it. It's not misinformation. Misinformation would be, oops, I got that wrong. This is straight. We live in a society of straight up propaganda. Billions of dollars are spent. Airtime is devoted to and channels are dedicated to the sole goal of getting your mind right. Segwaying into our next piece. We have, yeah, we spoke about the, the free produce movement, right? Again, there's a, this push, abolitionist push to not support uh, produce that was produced as slave labor. Um, and this is a direct correlation with the first uh, uh, Negro, National Negro Conferences. So we had National Negro Conferences. Right? So these are the organizations that kind of predate your NAACP, your UNIA. Look at how empire actually works. Had Liberia succeeded in the way that they wanted to, it would become nothing but a satellite. It would have been the yeah. African version of how we use Israel to hold shit down in the Middle East. Yes, 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 yes. And so he did full for it back then, right? So he he was smart enough, him, and guys like uh, Henry Holland Garnett were smart enough not to fall for that back then. And so um, it's, it's, it's simply remarkable, right? So they didn't fall for the quote-unquote propaganda, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, the, the misinformation. Uh, they didn't... Uh, get wrapped up in and so there's Dave Walker to be a Dave Walker and Richard Allen of course right so these are contemporaries um uh are to be commended for that controlling the narrative they're not popular ideas they're not did you get a chance to watch Charlemagne the God's new podcast new show no I'm not at all the last time I heard anything from him that honestly was that him bowing down to Hillary and her bullshit. That was it for me. If you can't, if you can sit across from someone like that and basically have them spit in your face and you just ha ha ha, fuck you. I ain't got time for that. (laughs) So, so you know, of all personalities in that sphere and none of them are great, right? I ain't asking uh, great. You ain't got to be Muhammad <laughs> Ali. You just got to stand up like a goddamn man or woman. And, we gonna, with a and, we're gonna that, and I'm going to make that connection because, uh, you know, I, I, I said, let me, it's only 30 minutes. I said, let me give it a watch. 
So I, I watched his new show, Charlemagne the God. I think it, an episode centered, centered around decrackification. Decrackification. And so there's, uh, there's a skit on there where he's trying to get these uh, white guys to sell their Confederate memorabilia, flags, hats, mugs, uh, in exchange for some other stuff. Um, the sad part about it, we, <laughs> and, 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 and interestingly enough, I tweeted about this, and Twitter took my post down because I used the word Negro. <laughs> I said, You mean the color black? Negro? <laughs> the Negro, they took it down because I said, um, oh. Somebody else said, I was talking It would have been Negro. Someone else. And it would have been okay. Someone that is the whole entire show about white folks. And I thought, I, I agreed. I was like, yeah, this is the most white centric stuff I'd ever talked about. So he was like, and I said, this is some super duper magical Negro type stuff. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Super duper magical Negro. That's the trope that says there are black characters in, in, in literature and, in in media who, have all the powers in the world, but mm-hmm. all their powers are used to save some white person. So yeah. it looks like sidekick. Yeah. It, it, not even sidekick. They could be the main hero, but you know he could be Superman. But the black Superman, his whole purpose is to save this white guy. Try to make sure this white guy, he, he's the chosen one, right? So uh, Morpheus and Neo. Uh, yes, you could say that, but not. But Neo wouldn't be the guy. That more like Eight Mile. Eight Mile is more of an example of, of what uh, he was referencing at the time. The Legend of Bagger Vance. These are what Spike Lee was actually. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, that was yeah, that was sick. Super Magical Negro, where these characters who have all the power, right, <laughs> all the power and all that mm-hmm. power. I just felt that um, the show was too white centric and trying to talk about. Whenever you start talking about white allies, you kind of lose me, right? You shouldn't have to spend that kind of time looking for good white folks, right? I believe if there's good white folks, they're, they're there, right? I, I don't have to go searching for them, and and it's just a very weak position to take, I would say. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I unlike you, I do, I do, I want to like Charlemagne is what I, is my point, and why? Uh, why? Uh, because. All right, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. So, Charlemagne's on the morning show, right? Mm-hmm. Where Those do you morning live? shows are nothing but brain poison anyway. Why do you think they all run the same stupid skits? Where do you live? What do you mean, where do I live? You know where I live. Where do you live? Yeah. Queens, New York. I mean, that's, that's a house number, but the cross street. No, 23rd and 109. 109. Okay, 109. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you, what do you know? What do you know about his morning show co-host? I don't watch it. Anything? No, I, I told you, I gave up on that tra- <laughs> brain trash a long time ago. I don't need that shit yeah. in my head. So, DJ Envy is from around here. He's from One Eleven. Okay. One Eleven in Springfield, right around the corner. So, you know, and he's he's our, he's he's our age, right? He's our he's our contemporary. And I always thought he was a Negro. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I thought, I consider him a Negro. So when you put someone who's from 
uh, back a small Negro town in South Carolina, Monk Corner, which, I, which is right outside of Charlotte. I guarantee you, I've been, I, I, I drove through there. Uh, and you put him beside Envy. Envy makes him look like Malcolm X. <laughs> right? Okay. So I like Charlemagne. So in that, like, in other words, I've, I, you know, uh, I, this is from, and I go, I'm going back now. Charlemagne mm-hmm. started out as an assistant for Wendy Williams. Like he was okay. Wendy Williams' sidekick way back in the day. I'm talking to, we talking about over 15 years ago, right? Melton Bloppy might just not know that. So like, you out- okay, but Oz, you just named two of the people who were in that room when the incident I brought up earlier with the hot sauce went down and didn't neither one of them say shit. See my point? Again, again. So I, See I didn't I like no time for none of these no count Negroes. I understand. I understand. Uh, but I'm just saying. You can throw Steve Harvey's punk ass up there too. Envy. I can't stand him. Compared to Envy, I'm like, oh, wow. He's fat. So, anyhow, the, the name of the show was Guys Honest Truth. And, you know, anybody who's trying to put black into the conversation, uh, you know, I'm, that's, 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 that's my speed. So, um, but again, he comes off kind of like, uh, what's, what's that big brother's name who was uh, pushing uh, Bernie Sanders from Georgia? Big Killer Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Killer Mike had a show, and I felt it was the same the same kind of thing where they talk about this white ally nonsense. And I felt well, that, uh, again, they're this- all recruited for one job. Their job is not to appeal to... Their job is not actually to appeal to black people. Their job is to make black people safe and palatable to the cul-de-sac crowd. The Democratic Party and the politicians that these people front for are not, we are not their target audience. They don't give a shit. They already got our vote. That's why they ignore us. What they're trying to do is win over the remaining cul-de-sac suburb crowd and those loose Republicans they might be able to pick up. This, we are not in this conversation. We are not in the political race, logistically and realistically. That's why it falls down whenever we try to rally and show support. You're wasting your fracking time with these parties, man. They're uh, not. Uh, in I it agree. For I'm not a. I'm not a part. I'm not a a, a, a flag waving Democrat. We all know that. <laughs> so I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, is it that you know you 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 want to be hopeful? That, that, that's that's no, healthy. That's no, healthy. You supposed to want to be hopeful, or at least optimistic. You're supposed to at least want to be optimistic, uh, and at least in those endeavors, right? You're hopeful. Meaning that, and then hopeful meaning that uh, you you're going to change things for the better. So in 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 realms that are. You can change the things to the better, but you can't change people. Well, you didn't say you're not trying to. Well, you're not trying to. Am I trying to change people? No, I'm trying to uh, see the things that I agree with and promote those things I agree with. So, mm-hmm. in other words, I can see a whole lot of people, and I'm just trying to pick the things I agree with and elevate those things I agree with. Right? Because that's 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 what an advocate does. Right, you find your place that you find where okay, I agree with you. You agree with this, and I agree with this. Okay, we can work on this together on all things purely, all things 
to our mutual benefit. Can we work? We can work together. We can come together on those things. And so that's what I'm trying to look for. Are there things, if anything, that I can mutually agree with? And so that's why I gave him a shot. I, I was like, let me, let me give him 30 minutes of my week here and let me okay. check out this guy on this trip. I was disappointed is what the walk away is. What I'm here to say is I was disappointed. Um, uh, and it's been all, it's, it's, I guess a TV week, but, um, uh, now Brian, the question is: uh, Do you think that's a one-off? Do you think that's actually a one-off, or is, do you think that's you pretty much got the gist of what that program is, and what what it'll be? Yeah, more than likely, that's probably the gist. Yeah, but um, you know, programming does change, right? So they could they could adapt the show, right? Because it's like a talk show, so he could adapt it based on what worked or didn't work. Right, that's that's what smart producers do. Right, they adapt; they don't move forward. But uh, again, I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> you know, he doesn't have adapt to adapt it. Now, the thing is, they're going to adapt it to their target audience. Which, again, my point is, we are not that target audience. Agreed. Agreed. Say no more. You you are, you are right. You are absolutely right. You are right. It's true. He's there to make some white folks comfortable. Um, now, what I did find interesting, uh, there is a new Muhammad Ali documentary on PBS. Mm-hmm. Now, this I love. I, I, I do enjoy, I have enjoyed this. I haven't watched the whole thing. Again, it's mm-hmm. like four episodes, round one, round two, round three, round four, and each one is two hours long. <laughs> it's a behemoth. It's by Ken Burns. So, okay. if many of you are familiar with Ken Burns' documentary, it's mm-hmm. really not Ken Burns. Right, even though he's the one filtering, it's filtered through his process. You know, uh, he does have like you know Muhammad Ali's brother talking. Um, oh. One of the guys who does a lot of talking on there is called is Michael Bent. Um, some of you <laughs> may or may not be familiar with Michael Bent. Um, Michael Bent is actually from <laughs> Southeast Queens. He's, he's from Cambridge Heights. <laughs> some may, may, may not know he was born in England. But he grew up in Cambria Heights because uh, uh, he stopped boxing and became like a, a movie consultant and a trainer. Um, and so he does a lot of commentary in the documentary. And he's pretty insightful um, as far as some of the, the more technical things about boxing. But, you know, really, it's about Ali. And um, I just love Ali. I do, you know, Ali yeah. just one of those guys I can sit back and listen to Ali for, for days. Like, He's one of those people who I wish I got to know in person, right? Especially at, at his prime. Because um, we need we, more people like that today, honestly. They've whitewashed Ali. They've uh, kind of the same way they've done Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. They've yeah. um, really uh, <laughs> done a job on how they present them, right? So the the because uh, Ali was not popular when he was alive, <laughs> right? He, he was. He's not this uh, national hero. No, when he was locked in the boat, he was doing things <laughs> that made white folks uncomfortable. And and and, uh, and yeah, so to, to see Ali's development uh, again, I, I I watched up to the first two, right? So um, this is right before they take it away uh, for him not enlisting in the army, and mm-hmm. so this is where he, you know. He always struggled. He 
tells the world that his name is Muhammad Ali. And there is this, uh, yeah, and what I come, what I take away from it is he took a lot of chances. I mean, <laughs> he took a whole lot of unnecessary chances. And many of you may not know this, but I, I box amateurs, right? I shouldn't say I box it. I shouldn't even say it like that. <laughs> but I've trained. I used to train out of Gleason. Uh, my, my trainer was Sean Razor. And I used to train, actually, uh, some of you might have remembered me saying this. So Frank Luhema is the great civil rights activist from Mississippi. Yeah. Um, her grandson was actually from New York. I trained with him. His name is Tor Hamer. Tor yeah. Hamer. I trained with him. We had the same trainer. Uh, obviously, I didn't spar with him. <laughs> uh, he, and he went pro, uh, but, um, you know, things kind of went left for him. Um, uh, he had some real promise right out the gate, but um, ran into some legal trouble. I think he got caught with some marijuana. And, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it just didn't go as, you know, he didn't pan out like we had hoped it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my trainer was saying Ali kind of messed up a lot of folks because Ali was would dance around uh, first of all for heavyweights you don't want to expend that kind of energy mm-hmm. you know these are big guys big muscles yeah. you, you are dancing you get tired real quick so that's one thing two uh, when you're boxing and I actually even talk about this with my class sometimes because when I talk about uh, neuro, neuroplasticity. Um, when you're fighting, if you get hit, you got to train yourself not to move back. You're supposed to move forward. So it's never the first hit that knocks you out. The first hit just makes you unconscious, mm-hmm. rattles you. The second hit, hit knocks you out because you're off balance. You don't see, and you don't see it coming. Because technically you've had a concussion. And so you move forward to smother that second punch. Right? You're going to get hit. If you're a boxer, you're going to get hit. Contact sports, you're going to get hit. You just want to get flush. You just don't want to hit, get hit clean. So, you know, somebody hits you, you move forward, and you can put your weight on them. They can't hit you. It's a win-win. Ali would move back when people punched at him. He did that. And that's what you're not supposed to do. So he was very unorthodox. He took a whole lot of risks, and the risk paid off. <laughs> Amazingly, but, he was, paid but off. he was the exception. That's like not everybody's Muhammad Ali, not everybody's Bruce Lee. You're not going to fight like them. So to try to do that, you're just going to get knocked out. <laughs> it's just that's what it is. Yeah, and one uh, another takeaway um, I'll say from the documentary um, was uh, I, I find this interesting that you would normally think that if you're going to punish somebody you think that the knockout is the worst thing but in two of his fights uh, his fight with Terrell and his fight with Floyd Patterson he doesn't knock them out he actually lets them go to distance mm-hmm. at 12 or 15 rounds when he could have knocked them out because he wanted to punish them so the punishment wasn't the knockout the punishment is I'm going to just let you, I'm going to pep you up, pep you up, pep you up for 15 rounds straight. <laughs> right? I'm not going to knock you out. Knock you out would be letting you off too easy. And I thought that was interesting because you always think that, oh, the guy who's knocking guys out is scary. 
but it's the guy who could knock you out but won't. There's <laughs> a, a level that of means they're in complete here. control of the fight. That's because they're in complete control of the fight. That's the actual scary part. Yeah. Complete control. And then what's funny is at the end of the so fight, he fights Floyd Patterson first. Both Terrell and Patterson, they were calling him Patterson's play when mm-hmm. his name was Muhammad Ali. So that's where the punishment came in. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't knock Patterson out. And Patterson's a former champ, right? So Patterson's not a scrub. But uh, my, Ali's a really big guy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look it. When you see him, especially when you see him beside guys like Sonny Liston, but he was as bigger than Sonny Liston, like taller. Like he was a full inch, two inches taller than these guys. Even if he wasn't wider, he he was a bigger guy. He was not a small guy. And so, um, at the end of the Floyd Patterson fight, he says, "You know, the reason why I couldn't knock him out, I just couldn't knock him out because he was a good fighter. I mean, he was real tough. He was real tough. <laughs> but his trainer was telling him to knock him out and put him out of his misery." But then fast forward to the Emmett to Terrell fight, he tells Terrell, after Terrell won't call him his name, he says, I'm going to do you like I did Floyd Patterson. So that tells you that he did it on purpose. I just think, uh, you know, uh, again, in modern contemporary, especially sports, right, when you have guys like Michael Jordan and uh, I would say, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather. These guys really can't hold a candle to a, a Muhammad Ali. Right? There's so much more than there's, this, there's boxing, yes, but there was so much more to their personalities and what they felt they wanted to give society. Right? Ali really wanted to give something to society. Um, I found it interesting when he took his anti-war stance. Um, how there were folks who, well, the documentary does focus on the guys who criticized him for taking an anti-war stance. But you and I both know there was a whole anti-war movement yeah. that embraced him for that exact stance. <laughs> it shows pictures of that. It shows pictures of Ali with your Kwame Ture, who was Kwame Ture, uh, you know, Stokely Carmichael, who was violently against the Vietnam War. But um, they do pay a bit of attention to some folks who want to criticize them for that. But again, you and I both know the history uh, wasn't so black and white. Um, but yeah, I, I, I say to say. Um, it was that anti-war stance that got Martin shot, a lot of people think. You know, a lot of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was Stokely Carmichael who was pushing him, a.k.a. Kwame Ture, who was pushing him to take that stance as well. <laughs> right, because <laughs> uh, there was push, there was push saying he shouldn't involve it because it would interfere with the what they had already gained. Um, uh, thank God he didn't see it that way. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, also, there's been a lot of talk recently about the power of the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And like you always say, uh, you always say that the, the right, they, they play this game a certain way that the left doesn't. Like, yeah, um, they play to win. <laughs> so, like, and they, and they play the long game. So, yeah. we, sometimes they, they, I should say we, the left, I don't get to myself in the left. Or that stuff, but the point is that the left, you know, how to put it, 
the right will see the left do something and they'll say, okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Give you some time because <laughs> they're going to use that same thing. May not be next year, may not be next 10 years, but within 15, 20 years, they're going to use that same mechanism to their own benefit. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Even we can look, we can look at, um, uh, integration. Well, right? the, the first thing differences in that strategy, sorry to cut you off, but a major part of how they operate is they take those losses and they use them and incorporate those losses into their next attack. And it's something yeah. you don't see liberals. I, I refuse to call them the left. <laughs> you don't see these liberals do because yeah, they don't, they don't really want the long-term win. So if they get, if a righty has a legal challenge and they lose, they will incorporate how they lost that legal challenge into their next attempt. The next time they're up in court, that hole will be patched. They will have a legal answer to that challenge from last time. And it will be part of this next legislation. And they'll do it again and again and again. They will, in the latest attempt, they, they will tie up the court and pose the question and wait for the legal challenge. We don't do that. The liberals call, don't do that. They get their, they you call liberal, get their W and stop. Would you call liberals populist then? Like, because they're, they're just looking for whatever's off the moment. Would no, you call liberals populist? No, I can't even honestly call them populists because a, a true populist would go with what the public is pushing for, what the public needs. A populist yeah. has an actual constituency. These liberals do but not the, have a constituency other than corporatism. So but that's the populist why they're okay doesn't always look not doing anything. Huh? But the populist doesn't always look long-term. It's not about... Right? The populist no, no. A populist... An actual populist, a populist politician would have a cause, would have a goal. So even if I get to the point where I'm not pushing further like the righties do, I at least have a goal that I have to meet or I'll run on an issue. That's where you would get those, like in years past, you would have single issue campaigns. That's a populist. You know, you would have to be some type of activist. You have to have a goal to even qualify as a populist. They don't cut that mustard. They're, they do not have that overall goal. They don't have an actual purpose other than to occupy an office. The purpose of the Democratic Party is the Democratic Party. The purpose of the Republican Party is power. They want that control. And they're going to use it. That's that desire to actually not just have power, but use it to exercise it is why you see that long-term planning and that long-term preparation in their legal challenges and how they operate and how they use the court. All of the major challenges and setbacks that we've had in the Supreme Court recently, where are they coming from? They come from the right and they'll tie it up and they'll throw a bomb in the court's lap and say, work it out. And the most that we can yeah, for, the most that we can look back on is Obama kind of sort of got a Republican health care plan. Give me a fucking break. That is, how do you even yeah, got a head with a plan that bad? Which they're gonna gut in about two or three uh, administration. In a, in a few, they're gonna gut it for you. Well, they already have started exactly. To gut it. Um, and why? And why? Because they followed the like, exact strategy I'm with. talking about. It wasn't that great to begin with? Uh, it doesn't yeah. have to be that great. 
But at the end of the day, you still had that framework basis. So if the liberals actually had a goal other than just sucking up air and tax money, you would have taken that starting point and been doing what? Molding it, chipping away at it, shaping it so that every time the Republicans, over 65 challenges in the House alone, while the law was still being formed over the course of Obama's, every freaking time they had an opportunity, they challenged it. They tried to poke a hole in it. And every time they lost, they incorporated that loss and came back again. They knew they would lose on number 60, number 62, number 63. It didn't matter. They kept pushing because they had a goal. And at the end of the day, Every one of those losses, they could still fundraise off of, they could still build their constituency off of, and pick up more voters. Meanwhile, what's our side? Our, not even our side. What are these centrist pieces of shit liberals doing? Sitting on their thumbs, talking about, look what we got. Well, what do you got? Well, well what I find interesting, especially specifically about the court, uh, is that um, it, it is a, a long-term strategy, right? Because uh, you're, you're putting these justices in place. Uh, a lot of things that the one thing that people forget is not that, well, not well, yeah, Supreme Court too, right? The amount of justices that Donald Trump put on the bench, yeah. right? And these are lifetime <laughs> and appointments. Are, these are not young. They're not, they're not old guys either. They're not no, senior citizens. That was the point. Yeah, that was the whole goal. <laughs> that was the whole goal. Look at a lot of our races are done on what the court system for the same reason. This is why we push this stuff locally because we understand that that is a long-term plank of your area of your society. These people don't just, they don't write the laws, but they help interpret and enforce them. So to leave that again, just leaving power on the table. This is that, this is, this is electoral malpractice. So, uh, what do you think about uh, them attacking the Supreme Court? In other words, adding more justices on the bench. And then you what do you lose, think of that strategy? What do you get for it? That's great. You throw some more well, judges. Now you there. can put more liberals. You have nine. So, you know, if you feel that um, uh, too many of them are conservatives, you can throw on another five, right? So, great. they could be five liberal judges. But what and, uh, you, so, what do you think about that? That doesn't matter. I could have 50 judges on the court. If I'm not using the court and the legislator effectively, what difference does it make? Now I just got more judges voting against me. And you know what? No, well, get up to 50. He, he not, what happens when I lose? What's that? See, that's the problem. You're not, it's not one well, person. You're not a king. Hmm? The judges will still be there that you, that you appointed. Yeah, but the extra I'm, judges will okay, be there. Uh, you would have killed think, them. Okay, but if you think more than two steps ahead, Oz, you just appointed five extra justices, and then you lose, and then the other party takes power. Guess what I'm going to do first? In fact, if I want to guarantee myself a certain amount of votes, all I got to do is run on the fact that I intend on day one to start appointing judges because fuck the other team. And I'm going to win. I'm going to get that heavy turnout because just on the chance, on the off chance that you got anything through that court that you just packed, all you did was enrage that entire other constituency. You just gave me voters. 
But can you can you be afraid of that though? I mean, can you can you make your decisions afraid of what somebody else going to do? It's not Should about doing the right thing. It, no, 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 no. Okay. It's not about deciding based on fear. It's about having sound tactics. If I can't write a single piece of actual legislation with the court at nine judges, it doesn't benefit me to have ten or twenty. I'm still losing where it counts in the legislation, in the court. They fight these battles from the state level all the way up to the federal court. By the time the Supreme Court is even looking at these issues, it's already, that snowball has already started downhill. They don't start there. That's how far behind the clock this conversation even is, let alone the liberal strategy for dealing with any of this, because it's not about winning. It's about fundraising off the fact that, oh, my God, look at what they've done. That's their goal. Like I said before, the Democrats' goal is to fundraise and stay there. The Republicans' goal is actual power. That's why they exercise power. Just look back over our last couple of presidencies. Obama was terrified to do any goddamn thing. And everybody gives him cover. Oh, he's the first black president. He couldn't do it. Okay, fine. Every Republican president we've had has had no problem exercising their agenda. They run on the fact that once I'm in that seat, this is what I'm going to do. Meanwhile, the liberals run from power, but they demand you elect them. For what? To lose gracefully? What are they saying for? Yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so we, we have the this conservative Supreme Court, and um, it's interesting to see what they're uh, going to do. Actually, one of the interesting cases, um, the thing is, again, we have a conservative uh, Supreme Court. Uh, one of the cases coming up, so um, some of uh, our, our gun mothers, right? Mm-hmm. out there who lament the difficulty of getting a gun in New York state. Okay. Uh, there is a court case. Uh, let me see if I, I can find the name of the court case. I know I got it. I do. I do. I do. Uh, so there is a court case challenging New York city's New York city specifically, um, mm-hmm. denial of the right to, uh, oh, challenging New York City's laws that violate, uh, if I'm saying that properly, uh, the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court case is called New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Corlett. Um, and I'm, it's interesting well, what's how the conservative court is going to see that, right? So we're gonna, going to decide in that case because, you know, <laughs> that could really open up the floodgates to uh, conceal and carry and things of that nature in New York City. Right? Uh, does that violate the Second Amendment? So it's interesting. I'm, I mean, that's just me. I could be <laughs> alone no. in, in that and paying attention thing. to that. No, I but think yeah, it's a good thing. It could be interesting. Um, I, I honestly, I, I'm kind of disgusted that firearms is one of those issues that the 
liberals have just handed over to their supposed opponents whole cloth. That just doesn't make sense. There, there are key constitutional issues that, again, liberals refuse to even take up and fight for. So I, I am constantly stunned that people can consider them a friendly, let alone realistic option as a party. I used to work with these bastards, so I'm actually kind of disappointed in myself often. You know, I, mean, I, called, <laughs> I called some of them friend. Lesson learned, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's one of the reasons why you know uh, the South. Well, they don't do well in the South. <laughs> you know, there are certain traditions uh, that. Uh, and, and, you know, the idea that everyone doesn't live in a big city. We also got to remember that. And to treat it as such. There's some folks who really, and there's some folks who really live in real rural areas, right? Yeah. They, they have the need to, to take care of themselves because no one's coming. No no calories coming for them, right? Uh, no. so. They couldn't make it there in time, even if you get a call for help. Yeah. But uh, let's uh, close out. Any closing statements for the people out there? <laughs> in the on the wake up radio world before we sign uh, off. Uh, we, we covered a lot today. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, yeah, we covered a lot. Just find something that does interest you and, and promote that. If you are looking at a business, if you find something like that interesting, look into doing your own thing. Even if it's just a side hustle, even if it's just a hobby, it could put a little extra money in your pocket and it could grow into something else. We're at a really strange flux time. So, you know what? Take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mentioned that we, you know, in Southeast Queens, we lost uh, Robert Oliver and Rose Paris. Uh, but in Black Life, we, we lost Melvin Van Peoples this week, right? Yeah, uh, sure. A lot of Mario Van Peoples, uh, director of Sweet Sweet Back's Revenge. Oh, sweet song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I'm going to leave with a quote from Melvin Van Peebles, the great. He died at 89 years old here in New York. I intend to stay dangerous. <laughs> to my brothers and sisters, Africans and Africanettes, and those of you who are African adjacent, uh, till next time on the Wake Up Radio, this is The Appeal, a.k.a. Walker's Appeal. Peace. Look it up. Individual. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Dian. Cindy Ashley. On the wake up. So here it is, y'all. Are you tired of being censored? Shadow banned? Shit, are you just tired of creating content and making these platforms famous? Well, I'm asking you to support OTW2. It's the black YouTube. Why you may say? Because our content is important and necessary. And because anytime we tell the truth, they shut us down on their platform. So we are behind enemy lines, so we cannot complain. We just got to move accordingly, smarter. So since we know many of our people won't just jump ship and go to a black site, what I'm telling you to do is don't post everything that is great on their platform. Give them purge people a 10-second snippet, a 15-second snippet, and make them come to OTWTube and come check you out. Support black things or stop complaining. There's only unity, black unity, and black economics can change our situation. Wake up, y'all. OTW Tube is where it's at.